Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Vince McMahon drops the hammer on WWE talents using their character names on Twitch and Cameo and other services to make a little extra cash. No more $400 Alexa Bliss cameos. I'm going to talk about what it all means in WWE's statement from yesterday. Plus... Matt Hardy almost dies during last night's AEW pay-per-view and a glorious betrayal by Bailey one year after her last betrayal. Some great storytelling of what I thought may have been the best SmackDown of the entire year. All that, and you know there's even more on this, the first September sound off of the year. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. I like fighting a woman. What is with this company's obsession with ninjas? Oh my God, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and threaten me. Too many ninjas. You haven't been beat up properly. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? <laughs> Happy Labor Day weekend, I am the Solomonster, and this is episode 668 of the Solomonster Sounds Off for Sunday, September 6th, 2020. Poor Big Show, his Netflix show was cancelled after just one season, they turned heel on him, only 27 more turns to go before they catch up with his record. Uh, I'm running on fumes after last night's AEW stream. Didn't get a lot of sleep, but we're right back at it this morning, right? I mean, someone's got to keep you guys informed about what the hell's going on out there. Be sure to uh, support our sponsors. Biggest sponsor that you can support is Audible. They've been with us for a long time. AudibleTrial.com slash Solomonster. Get yourself one free audiobook. Or if you're an Amazon Prime member, apparently you might be able to get two free audiobooks when you use our link. Can't verify that myself right now, but that's what I've been told. So go ahead and uh, sign up for the 30-day trial with that link, and you get to pick one free audiobook of your choice. And even if you cancel the trial, you get to keep your book no matter what. So go ahead and support the show. AudibleTrial.com slash Solomonster. And there is an ongoing t-shirt sale going on right now on Pro Wrestling Tees, now through tomorrow afternoon, Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So you don't have a lot of time left, but if you want to get 20% off all shirts in our Sound Off store, that's ProWrestlingTees.com slash Solomonster Sounds Off. It's the full name of the show. You got over 30 shirts in there you guys can choose from, including a couple of Halloween shirts from last year. We've got Halloween coming up, right? Now would be the time to order them. Could take a few weeks to get to you, but uh, that's up to you. Use the code Labor Day at checkout. Get 20% off right now at Pro Wrestling Tees. And as always, if you want to make a PayPal donation, you may do so on thesolomonster.com. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out. And we got a lot of people to shout-out this week, so we're going to break it up a little bit, including the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, 
John Loosecannon Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, the Florida Freebird Brian Becerra, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, Raymond the Mountie Medina, Fast Blast Tim Banks, Rolex Robin Party. I've not heard from Robin in quite a while, so good to hear from Mr. Rolex. The Maniac Moderator Jeff Lippman, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, Venom John Iru, Stephen Handyman Hallistic, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, Project Zero Mortals, Wayne Ashanti. And a very special shout-out to the Hispanic Panic, Alicia Freeze, wishing her a very happy birthday, not only from myself, but from her husband, Kevin. I know Kevin has been through the ringer, and she has been by his side through it all. So he wanted to make absolutely sure that she would get a very special birthday shout-out here on uh, on her birthday. And Kevin, you are a lucky man. And Alicia, I hope you have a fantastic day and a fantastic Labor Day tomorrow as well. Body snatcher Eddie Hirobi has a, a very important shout-out he wanted to share. He wanted to bring attention to a GoFundMe campaign that was started for Scott J. Scott J. is a content creator on YouTube and a video game programmer. He's been, I guess, modding old wrestling games for a while. Uh, apparently, he's fallen on some tough times. His roof is in need of some major repairs before the winter when it gets really cold. So uh, if you're familiar with his work, and even if you're not and you want to help, want to spread the link around, uh, maybe you do watch Scott's content. You want to help out, go to the GoFundMe page. If you go to the GoFundMe website in the search box, just type in Scott's Roof. Or help fix Scott's roof before the winter. And it should be the first thing that comes up. And uh, No More Faith 78 on iTunes dropped five stars and says he's been a wrestling fan for over 30 years. Been a Solid Monster fan for about six. Incredible content. Keep up the amazing work. Jay Wrestling Fan, he's been listening since 2015. Bacon 97. Been listening for four years after hearing my clips on YouTube. And Mantis Toboggan says the Sound Off is the best independent wrestling podcast out there. I try to keep it fair. I try. I said last night at the end of the uh, AEW stream, you know, not everybody is always happy with what I say. Even people in some promotions. You should see some of the messages that I get sometimes. I don't care. (laughs) I say what's on my mind. I don't sugarcoat it. I don't hold back. It's an opinion show. I give my opinion. You don't like it. Go fly a kite. That's my attitude about it. I didn't build an audience because I'm holding back in what I'm saying. So Toboggan, I appreciate it. There, there's no there's no filter here. There's no handcuffs here. Uh, so if you didn't hear your name, stick around. Because we got more reads coming up in a little bit. But we got to get going here. I mentioned this on my Dynamite stream a few days ago. Uh, but I wanted to mention it again. The death of Casey Michael this week. Casey was the founder of the Squared Circle Sirens website back in 2014 is when he started that site. He was a huge fan of women's wrestling. Huge fan, huge advocate for the ladies. He had befriended a lot of them. I know he had a lot of, you know, sources and ins at the Performance Center. He had broken some scoops before that I even gave him credit for here on this podcast. You may have heard the name. Here on the sound off over the years a few times, Casey Michael. Uh, He was only 26 years old. Young guy. Very young guy. 
And he had been dealing with some very serious health issues for the past couple of years, I think. And after his second liver bowel transplant, I guess his body just could take no more. And he passed away. $7,500 was raised. Could be a little bit more than that by now, but when I checked yesterday, it was 7500 bucks uh, on a, a GoFundMe towards his funeral expenses. Nearly tripled the listed goal. A lot of wrestlers donated. Uh, Mia Yim, I know, helped raise some of that money on a Twitch charity stream. One of the last tweets that he posted really, I think, summed up his love for women's wrestling. This is only four days before he died. He tweeted, Women's wrestling is just the best. I am blessed. So I was very sorry to hear about his passing. AEW All Out was last night from Daly's Place in Jacksonville. If you missed the stream, it's all up and waiting for you. The video stream is up right now. My full review on YouTube. Please go to the channel and sub to the channel. We had over 2,000 watching me live last night. And uh, we are now well on our way to 60,000 subs on the channel. I just broke 59K less than a week ago. And we're already nearing 59,400. So by my math, it's... Very possible that we can uh, break 60K in the next couple of months. In fact, my goal, it's a little ambitious, but my goal is to try to break 60K by the time we hit our 13-year anniversary of the podcast, coming up in November. But I can't do that without you. So let's do it. Let's get it done. 60K by November. That's my goal. Uh, As far as All Out is concerned, I thought it was the weakest of all the AEW pay-per-views that I have seen so far, which is not to say that it was a thumbs-down show or a bad show. It was not. It was a thumbs-up show, but, and I think the Twitter poll results reflect it. Uh, You know, last I checked, it was like 59 up, 41 or 42 down. I probably would go uh, somewhere in the 60 range, like six, six and a half out of 10 is probably what I would do. Uh, But the expectations for these events, and they only have four big pay-per-views each year, have been so high. And Revolution back in February and Double or Nothing back in May were such, you know, excellent shows. Uh, This one does not rank, you know, alongside those or above those. But I thought Thunder Rosa and Hikaru Shida had a damn good match. I thought Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against FTR. A very good match. Should have been shorter. I think it would have benefited from being about 8 to 10 minutes shorter than it was. But they had a very good match that I think in a different environment. The circumstances were different, a different building, you know, full crowd, different environment, like the Bucks and Hangman and Omega had back in February, uh, that this match could have been uh, could have been fantastic, could have been an incredible match. And the last few minutes I thought of John Moxley and MJF in the main event uh, was... What saved it for me? I was not really feeling that match at all until the final minutes of the match. The show just felt very long because it was very long. But they can almost get away with it because they don't have that many pay-per-views. I can almost, like, understand it. But last night, it just felt long. And it dragged. And there were some moments during the show, which I'll get into here in a second. The main thing being Matt Hardy, that for me really, for a while there in the middle, took me right out of the show. And that just did not help. Now, in the Battle Royal, they have the big uh, Casino Royale Battle Royal. Battle Royale. And they always have the Joker card. 
So the final entrant is the mystery entrant, number 21. They draw the Joker suit. We never know who it is. And the big surprise last night turned out to be Matt Seidel. Not a huge surprise, but haven't seen him in a while. So he came out to make his AEW debut. And it was very unfortunate. The first big move of the of the night for him. He went to go up top to hit a move that I'm sure he's hit a thousand times before. The big shooting star press off the top. But he slipped and fell. He's lucky he didn't kill himself. The way he hit the ropes on the way down. But I said on the stream, I think his ego was more bruised than any part of his body. I felt really, really bad for him. And then the Matt Hardy stuff. Not a great night for people named Matt. The Matt Hardy stuff. Him against Sammy Guevara. Broken rules match. Uh, didn't go very long. Went longer than it should have. Even though it didn't go very long. This was one of the scariest things that I have ever seen on a pay-per-view before in my life. And I was hot. And I went off on AEW last night. And I've heard the comments since that Tony Khan made in the post-show media scrum, which I'll talk about. But uh, that doesn't excuse what happened last night. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. You know, Matt and Sammy were brawling in the back. That's where things basically started on the football field. Next door, Matt's looking for Sammy. Sammy shows up in a golf cart. They end up in the backstage area. And they end up on a scissor lift. And down below, there were, and I didn't realize there were two tables. I thought it was just one one table. There were two tables down below. But they're on the scissor lift that's going up, 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 up. And now they've got to be every bit of, I don't know, I mean, 10 to 15 feet in the air, probably 10 to 12 feet, maybe. And Sammy Guevara tackles Matt Hardy off the platform on top of the scissor lift. And they overshot certainly the first table. And Sammy and, and Matt or part of their bodies anyway, went through the second table, but the back of Matt's head overshot the table, and the back of his head smacked the pavement. And it was obvious what happened, and if you looked at Matt, one of the scariest things I've ever seen, you could see that his eyes were open. But he had the dead eyes. He wasn't there. And his body went stiff, and he wasn't responding to Aubrey Edwards, and Aubrey Edwards was probably scared shitless. She put the X sign up. She was doing what she was supposed to do. I'm sure she was scared. She was probably terrified. But it was a while before the doctor came over to check on this guy. Now, maybe the doctor was coming from a different part of the building. He may have been at the ringside area. He had a rush over. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, Matt, he's trying to get back into it. And this thing should have been ended a lot earlier than it was. You know, when the show was over, Tony Khan said that Matt was okay. He said that uh, he had them... Now, the bell rang, and when the bell rings, that end, that signals the end of the match. Tony Khan says he had the bell rang to put a pause on the match, that the doctor could check on Matt. He claims the doctor did check on him. He passed whatever their concussion protocol test is. But he was very concerned as you watched Matt continue on because they brawled back into the building. They went right to the finish. Clearly, they went right to the planned finish which involved them climbing up on a truss. They climbed, like again, another 10 feet in the air. Now you're watching a guy who just took a tumble from 10 or 12 feet up and smacked the back of his head on the ground, and now he's climbing back up into the air? Yeah, I would bet that Tony Khan was very concerned. Tony Khan is the one person who had the power to put an end to this. And I know his his position is, well, we're just going by the doctor. The doctor said, the doctor cleared him. It's Dr. Samson. He cleared him. He said he was fine. Anybody who's watching could tell he wasn't fine. 
Maybe he wasn't diagnosed with a concussion after the fact. I haven't gotten any kind of medical report. I know he was sent to the hospital. He was having an MRI done. I don't know what the results of that are. Other than in the immediate aftermath of the show, Tony Khan said that he was okay. But what does that mean? Yeah, he's okay. He's alive. I thought he was dead. How that match was allowed to go on like that when Aubrey Edwards seemed to be doing her damnedest to say, you know what, let's put an end to this, was disgusting. And it was a huge black eye for that company last night. I know none of them intended for this. I'm sure they were all very upset about it. But this was not handled well at all. And Matt's wife was going off on Twitter, and on Matt, but also on uh, the company. And you know what? She had every right to. She was 100% correct. It's one of the most horrific things that I that I have seen in a very long time on a wrestling show. If you want my full thoughts on, on that and everything else, all the other matches, there were a lot of other matches on this show. Go watch my full review. It's up right now on YouTube. Uh, and also why things I think have been set up perfectly now with FTR. They are the new tag team champions. They did take the belts from Omega and Hangman and why things now are set perfectly. Omega walks out in a huff after the match, storms out of the building. The Bucks don't go with him, so Omega just dumps them too and gets in his car and they drive off. A lot of drama going on in the Elite. That story is progressing very nicely. Exactly as I figured it would. Things are set up very well now. For this first match between the Bucks and FTR. And whatever split is going to happen. Between Hangman and Omega. Which I'm kind of happy they didn't you know, pull the trigger on that last night. You know, Maybe they will on TV this week. I think you could even milk it a little bit more. But clearly that friendship, that partnership, that team is uh, going to be a thing of the past. Tony Khan also revealed the other day that it was Kenny Omega's idea to bring Thunder Rosa into the company and get the lines of communication open between Tony Khan and Billy Corgan. Rosa did an interview with Fightful.com where she mentioned that WWE had invited her for a tryout last September. So a year ago this month, but she passed on it because at the time she had been training for her MMA debut. Uh, But the interest that WWE had in Thunder Rosa, think about this, right? As, As fun as it was to watch her on NWA Power and the run that she had there. And you watch her in the ring last night, one of the best matches on the entire show. The interest that WWE had in Thunder Rosa was not as a wrestler. The interest was to bring her in as a referee. One of these uh, nameless, oftentimes nameless referees that they have. But she says that she's still open to hearing from WWE and anyone else. But she she made it very clear. And I, and I actually, I like this. I respect the hell out of her for this. She said that she's definitely open to hearing offers or maybe one day working for WWE. But uh, she would prefer that companies come to her. If they have an interest and not the other way around. She's not going to go begging for a job somewhere. If they're interested in bringing in Thunder Rosa as a wrestler, as a referee, whatever it may be, you're going to have to go to Thunder Rosa. Good for her. She knows her worth. Now, unopposed on Wednesday night, I want to just get all the AW stuff out of the way now. And then we can get into the the other big stories of the week. But unopposed on Wednesday night. Dynamite did 928,000 viewers for the go-home episode, which uh, 
wasn't very good. The number was was great. I didn't think the show was very good, um, but the number was great. I just happened to think it was it was one of the weaker dynamites in uh, many weeks. But that nine hundred twenty eight thousand was the show's highest mark since February pre pandemic. Key demo was up twenty four percent from the week before. That's the highest mark since January. So the numbers were were great for the show. AEW and NXT on Tuesday and Wednesday night this week combined for over 1.7 million viewers. That is the highest number of total viewers for both shows since November. The difference is this time, of course, they were not airing on the same night. Now, I said this on my NXT stream on Tuesday night, and these numbers bear it out. NXT should move to Tuesday nights. That is the move to make. And I'm seeing conflicting reports now about whether or not this might be happening. You know, some some are saying that it's up for consideration. USA Network would prefer that they move to Tuesdays because then they can chart in the top 10 in the demo more often. That's really what these networks care about. Then I see Dave Meltzer is saying the opposite. That when the idea was broached a while back, Vince McMahon immediately shot it down, point blank. Because their sole goal, WWE, according to him, their sole goal, WWE and USA both, was to try to put AEW out of business and make Dynamite a failure. And once AEW got that contract renewal in January, which was, I think, three years with an option for a fourth, which pretty much... You know, I mean, that that's really what the, the lifeblood is of the company now. Same for WWE in a lot of ways. They're carried by that television money. But once that happened, once they got their contract, they failed. They failed in their mission. And so now if they were to move the show, it kind of makes it more likely that Dynamite might possibly at some point get back to a million viewers or around a million viewers per week. I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. I think a little bit of what Meltzer said, a little bit of what other sites are saying, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. It's embarrassing to see NXT charting at number 60 out of the top 150 shows. Sometimes they don't chart at all. They're not even on the chart or the numbers are delayed because they're so far down the chart that the numbers aren't even in right away. That's embarrassing. Why would USA not want them? Higher on a different night. It only makes them look better. Instead of being in the basement where they normally are. NXT actually charted higher this week. You can't tell me that that is not appealing to USA Network. To want to move them to another night. It's not as if they have any other shows. I mean, Tuesday night, it's all Law & Order reruns. And I love SVU. But USA Network has no other big hit shows. This is not the USA Network of 10 years ago, the USA Network of 20 years ago. They have wrestling. They have wrestling and that crappy cannonball uh, wipeout wannabe game show that I think just had its season finale. I don't know if they're bringing it back for a second season or not. So I don't want to hear, well, they can't move to Tuesdays because they have other things on that night. No, they don't. They have nothing. So I'm sure USA wants the numbers, But I can also believe that Vince McMahon would not want to admit defeat and move the show to another night. They were on Wednesday nights before AEW was. They got the jump on them last September. And to move the show, I mean, it's an ego thing. 
That's all it is with these people anyway. It all comes down to ego. Yeah, I could see them seeing it as a sign of defeat. They get their asses kicked on most weeks. They've already lost. If they stay on Wednesdays, they're going to continue to lose most weeks. It's over. It's been over for a while. The numbers are clear. But Vince McMahon does not want AEW to grow that audience. That I absolutely believe. I don't think he'll ever push to move nights. If they move, it's probably going to have to be a USA call. And what the network wants, the network gets. They wanted that third hour of Raw, and they got it. It's been eight years. It destroyed the show. But WWE gladly took the money for that third hour. But clearly the correct move to make is to move the show to another night. And I know all the Impact fans aren't going to like it. You know, Impact wouldn't like it. I saw the Torch, Pro Wrestling Torch, had a report that Impact did 171,000 viewers two weeks ago. And then this week, up against NXT, because there was overlap between the two shows head-to-head, they dropped very hard, down from 171,000 to 102,000. So believe me, Impact definitely does not want NXT to move to Tuesdays, that I'm sure of. Maybe NXT can go to Thursday instead. Maybe it doesn't have to be Tuesday. Maybe it's Thursday. More SVU on USA, by the way, is what they air on Thursdays. That and Chris Lee knows best. The guy's got 12 federal charges pending against him. Chris Lee knows best. Chris Lee knows how to not pay his taxes. That should be the new name of the show. Bump him to uh, Saturdays at midnight and give his slot to NXT. This whole notion of a Wednesday night war. The war was over a long time ago. Do the right thing and move the show. And if you want my thoughts on the Fatal 4-Way from Tuesday night, go back. uh, That full review also up on YouTube. Did a whole show on it. I was heated about that finish. This Tuesday, it's Finn Balor against Adam Cole to maybe, possibly this time, after their tie finish at the end of that 60-minute Iron Man match, maybe this time we'll actually get a winner. Maybe this time we'll actually have a new champion crowned. And if we do, I think it's Finn Balor. Shout out to the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine. Harrison Soep, Josh the Shooter Stockton, Nitrous Oxide Nathan Cania, Ostentatious Alan Carter, Mean Matt Forbush, New York Punk Arnold Modesto, Recon Russell Bullware, Killshot Keith Hart, Dark Soul, Jeff Cole, Metalhead, Michael Babers, Total Debacle, Nathan Johnson. Thank you for the nice words, by the way, Nathan. Night Stalker, Nayef Al-Safar. I just saw his uh, his super chat last night. Nayef is one of my big supporters. The Firebomber, Craig Foster. Eric, First Blood, Fisher. Stormy Skies, Ryan Spies. The Miami Mauler, Danelle Phillips. First-time donator. And BMAC Attack, Bernard Hicks, who is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday, brother. And he wants to give a shout-out to all the first responders and all the healthcare workers out there. I will second that. The big story of the last few days has to do with WWE informing its talent that those who are using their name and likeness in ways that are detrimental to WWE with third parties must cease doing so by October 2nd or risk fines, suspension, 
or termination. Now, this was said to be communicated to the roster directly by Vince McMahon himself, either in the form of a group phone call or an email. I've heard differing stories about uh, how it was communicated. And the language there was vague enough that a lot of the talent have been very concerned these last few days about what this all means. It has a lot of them on edge. They have personal streaming channels on YouTube and Twitch. Others are on Cameo and Patreon. I know Elias has a Patreon page under that name. Elias, which is not his real name. I don't know if any other WWE talents have a Patreon. I'm sure some of them might, but uh, I know he's uh, he, he definitely does. This story has gotten some mainstream attention. Mick Foley, I saw chime... I mean, a lot of wrestlers have chimed in on it on social media. Mick Foley chimed in on it. He thought... Uh, what a, what he, he talked about what a crummy thing he thinks that this is. Kevin Nash chimed in, replied to Mick, and said, As 1099 independent contractors, you are an employee. If you have to show up at a specific time and are restricted uh, monetary gains in your personal time, ask for your health insurance coverage and profit sharing. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So this has upset a lot of people. Due to the uproar, WWE had to, they had to make a statement. They probably saw this as getting out of hand. So they issued a statement yesterday, Saturday. This is what they said. Much like Disney and Warner Brothers, WWE creates, promotes, and invests in its intellectual property, i.e. the stage names for performers like The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, Big E, and Braun Strowman. It is the control and exploitation of these characters, and what a, <laughs> what a, what a rich word. I know what they're, I know what they mean when they use that word, but boy, boy, them using that word can mean so many different things. The exploitation of these characters that allows WWE to drive revenue, which in turn enables the company to compensate performers at the highest levels in the sports entertainment industry. Notwithstanding the contractual language, it is imperative for the success of our company to protect our greatest assets and establish partnerships with third parties on a company-wide basis rather than at the individual level which as a result will provide more value for all involved. The moment I saw the word notwithstanding, I knew it was drafted by Vince McMahon himself. <laughs> that is just one of those Vince McMahon words. That is one of those Vinceisms I've talked about before. Now, I think there's been some confusion because of a Wrestling Inc. report that stated that McMahon also made a comment in this call or this email 
about not only owning their character likenesses, but owning their real names as well. Fightful later heard from a number of wrestlers clarifying, saying that McMahon never said that. He never said that he owns their real names, even though there is language in the standard WWE talent contract. And there have been contracts leaked over the years. I mean, it's not that hard to do a Google search and find copies of contracts that, you know, I would imagine even contracts from 15 years ago are probably in, in the legal language. I mean, maybe they're even more restrictive now, but they're probably not radically different. If you want to look it up and just see some of the language in these contracts, there is language in the contracts that talks about their legal names. And I think that's where some of this confusion comes from. Now, I can understand WWE claiming ownership of their character names, which they're well within their rights to do. You know, for he, Vince McMahon does not want the fiend Bray Wyatt to sell fiend foot fetish photos on OnlyFans. That I can understand. That would I mean, that would be detrimental to more than just WWE if uh, such a thing existed. But the idea that if you have a YouTube or if you have a Twitch that you derive income from on the side, whether it's advertising revenue, whether it's tips and donations or super chats or, or whatever it may be, and the idea then that you would be forced to shut them down, even if you run them under your legal name, that is disgustingly wrong. And I doubt that it would ever hold up in a court of law if challenged. I don't care if it is in the contract or not. I doubt very seriously that something like that would hold up in court. And I'm not a lawyer. Not claiming to be. WWE has done well exploiting loopholes before. They've got a great army of lawyers. They've won many court cases before. But they've also never really truly been challenged. By a lot of these things. Especially by existing talent. It's really not happened before. You've had people who have left the company, people who have been released, that have raised the stink or tried to raise the issue of independent contractor against employee status. I think Raven and other people over the years have tried and, and have failed. And in some cases, it might be a statute of limitations issue where time has expired. But there are a lot about these WWE contracts, these talent contracts that probably would not hold up in a court of law if they ever were seriously challenged on it. Now, WWE is supposedly going to clarify and they're going to try to better explain things to the talent at TV this week and assuage whatever concerns they may have. So we'll get a better sense because, you know, it's going to leak out. So we'll get a better sense in the next few days of whether or not this is all blown out of proportion or if indeed they are going to make these guys close down some of their personal channels. I saw what Mike Rome, WWE announcer Mike Rome, said on his Twitch he believes that it's just a case where you're not allowed to use your character name on your personal channels. That's his understanding of it. A lot of them have started making money on Twitch <clears throat> and Cameo to supplement their income. You know, during the pandemic, there's no live events anymore. But a lot of them have been making money long before the pandemic. I don't want to just use the pandemic as an excuse. Big E started taking requests on Cameo early last year in 2019. He even talked about it. He plugged his Cameo. He was just on the R-Truth game show. R-Truth has this game show on the WWE Network that started up recently, and Big E was on there. He just plugged his Cameo stuff on the WWE Network. And in fact, he was talking about having uh, rejected, I think this might have been the only request he ever had to reject, 
He rejected one request from somebody who wanted him to oil himself up on camera and make his his, uh, pecs bounce up and down. He turned that one down. He said that one went a little too far. But there was a PR company just in the last couple of weeks that compiled a list of the top WWE earners on Cameo. And you know what? I would not be surprised if this had a lot to do with what we're now hearing about. If this is what got the companies and Vince McMahon's attention. And I know there's concerns about other people. There's been reports of Lana and other people, you know, getting endorsement deals and such for products or or beverages. But this report just came out in the last couple of weeks. That, to me, is too much of a coincidence. Because it made news on all the different wrestling news sites. They compiled the list of the top WWE earners on Cameo. And Big E was at the top of the list at $62,000. That's what he's made so far off of Cameo videos. He's very popular on there. Roman Reigns has only made $18,000 so far. But Roman Reigns also charges $500 a video. Big E charges a lot less. I think Big E is like 125. I think Big E used to charge like 50 and 100. Now he's up to 125. He's not charging Roman Reigns money. He's at least uh, a little more reasonable. But the key is Big E bills himself on there as WWE superstar Big E. One third of the new day. And if WWE wants him to stop referring to himself on there as WWE superstar Big E, I don't think that's unreasonable. But if he switched to his real name on there and said, Hi, you know, my name is Etor, he probably would not make nearly as much money. But if he did and they still wanted him to shut his page down or share in the profits that he makes, that's what I have a problem with. That's crossing a line. That's where I think a line is being crossed. When these guys are designated as independent contractors and not as employees of the company, they want the control over their talent that comes with being an employee, but without providing the actual benefits that come with being an employee. They want to have it both ways. Some of the, some of these guys uh, have YouTube channels that are actually great, that are a lot of fun and very entertaining. Seamus has a great channel called Celtic Warrior Workouts, where he works out with a different WWE star each time. He interviews them for the first 10-15 minutes of the video, and then he works out with them. He does their workout. And there's a lot of really entertaining uh, videos on there. In fact, one of them was the uh, video where he and Edge... Many, many months ago, probably last year, went on a bike ride. They were probably in North Carolina or wherever it is that Edge lives, and they were in the backwoods somewhere going on a bike ride, and that was the the ride where Edge took a bump. He hit a bump, he went flying off his bike, he scraped the shit out of his leg, but he has said that it was that bump when he got up and he said he felt good, that's what got him thinking, hey, wait a minute, maybe maybe i'm doing physically you know better than i thought and that is part of what got the ball rolling on him thinking about an in-ring return so you can you could actually trace edge's return back to that video on the uh youtube channel but yeah i mean his channel is great uh oscar oscar has a, a gaming channel on youtube called kanachan tv so she's not really using her wwe name and wwe should not be able to make her take her channel down It's ludicrous. It just sounds so ludicrous to me. I have to think that this is all just blown out of proportion. There's no way that they're going to force these people to take these channels down. 
So hopefully they will clear this up this week. Channels like theirs will not be affected by this. Or it'll be a very simple change in the language being used, in the names being used. But there's a lot of channels out there. Now, I know Lana has a YouTube channel of her own, and she thinks she's a big social media influencer. Uh, Mia Yim and Zelina Vega have their own Twitch channels. AJ Styles just went from Mixer to, to Twitch himself. You know, one of the things the wrestlers also fear is that WWE may allow them to continue running their channels, but they might want them to share the revenue with them. I'm sure they don't want that. Just makes me think of Zack Ryder's show. Zack Ryder, with that Long Island, uh, Z True Long Island Story YouTube show, man, he got himself over. And it was very, it was a very clever, entertaining show. And then WWE caught wind of it and they wanted it, right? They wanted the channel. They wanted a piece of it. So I think they basically took the channel over from him. And that's when the channel started to go downhill. The channel started to die a death because he would do stuff that would now have to be approved by WWE. And they would say, no, no, you can't put that up. Or no, no, you got to edit that out. Plus now they either owned it or they owned a piece of it. So they were probably sharing in whatever money the channel made. (laughs) Once they touched it, they basically killed it. They basically poisoned it and it died. So yeah, I wouldn't want WWE to have anything with uh, my channel either. Even if I work for the company. Hands off. Stay away. This is mine. This doesn't belong to you. Xavier Woods, he's got his Up Up Down Down gaming channel on YouTube. And none of the wrestlers that he uses on that channel, including himself, they don't use their stage names. So on there, he's Austin... Was he Austin Creed? And when he has other people on like Cesaro or Adam Cole, they're not using their, their wrestler names. They're using nicknames. Made up nicknames or gamer tags, or whatever it may be. But I also think WWE has partnered up with Woods on that channel in some way. They're always promoting it. They're always promoting I mean, Xavier Woods was just on Talking Smack, and they were talking up, 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 down, down. There's no way that WWE doesn't have a piece of that channel. So that channel's going to be fine. That channel's not going anywhere. Paige made it very clear yesterday that her Twitch ain't going nowhere. She said there is no chance in hell that we are getting rid of my stream. That's what she told her viewers yesterday. I love how she used Vince McMahon's own theme song against him. No chance in hell that they're taking my stream down. But I think WWE may have something else in mind here. Uh, In their shareholders meeting in July, one of the EVPs of the company, this was just a couple of months ago, talked about, you know, during these pandemic times, Wanting to have the talent engage more on platforms like Twitch and like TikTok so that, you know, what they may be looking at this as is the talents are going around them to make their own money independently. And what they would like to do is they want to forge relationships themselves. WWE does. With Twitch and with TikTok. Not unlike the relationships they already have with Facebook and Twitter I was going to throw tout. I don't know. Is tout still a thing? There's something else that WWE was involved in that died a death. Although I don't know that tout was ever really alive to begin with. But they probably say, look, you know, you guys are making your own deals here. We want to be the ones to form the deals. But of course, if they do that, WWE, the company is going to be the ones who net the bulk of whatever money is made. Yeah, you know, the wrestlers might get some uh, residuals out of it, but I don't think it would be as much. 
as uh, if they were just working on their own directly with these different platforms. But, I mean, look, if WWE says otherwise, or there's language in the contract that states otherwise, where even with your real name or something that you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, challenge it. Challenge it. One issue is that WWE is a multi-billion dollar company. They have a team of lawyers, which makes it very difficult to fight back if you're just one person. And I can also understand not wanting to piss off your employer in the middle of a pandemic when you have 50 million Americans out of work. I get it. But it's all about strength in numbers. This shouldn't be one or two people challenging the almighty WWE. That's not going to work. They will crush you. They will crush you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's not about one or two or three people. It's about strength in numbers. If they have one big talent meeting this week and WWE does not clarify things to their satisfaction, the power lies in the hands of the talent. The only way to change things is for the talent to band together and say enough is enough. They're not going to suspend their entire roster. They're not going to fire everybody on the roster for non-compliance. They're not going to do that because without the talent, they have nothing. But what always happens in these situations, and it happened, I think, with the COVID stuff a few months ago, is, you know, by and large, they stay silent. Or they grumble about it to, you know, wrestling news sites anonymously. You're not going to change anything just griping about it to Dave Meltzer. They need to speak up and stand up for themselves if it really bothers them that much. That's what all these reports initially said. The talent is concerned. The talent is upset. The talent... Well, you know what? If they're so upset and they're so concerned then do something about it. Or, better yet, don't sign a contract when your current one expires. You do always have that option. You can just not sign the contract the next time that it comes due and the company shoves one in your face and says, here, five years, sign here. Because they want to own every inch of your soul. They're notorious for the level of control that they want to exert over people. That's why Jesse Ventura left the company back in 1990, 30 years ago. Jesse left. I was very sad when he left. WrestleMania 6 was his last WrestleMania. By the time SummerSlam rolled around, it was Vince McMahon and, and Roddy Piper trying to fill the role of Jesse Ventura. Now, why did he leave? Because he went to Vince and said that there was this video game company that wanted to make a video game about him. Or they were going to name the video game after him. He was going to be the face of it. It's like a Sega Genesis game, I think, a wrestling game. And Vince said no. And Jesse said, well, I own my own name. In his case, he owned his name. 
He says, you can't tell me what to do with my name. And Vince said, if you do this, you're gone. And Jesse said, well, then I guess I'm gone. He stood his ground and he left and he ended up in WCW. The game, by the way, never got made. I don't know what happened. I do remember seeing advertisements for it. So it was clearly something that was uh, in development. It was like Jesse Ventura's wrestling stars or all stars or something like that. And maybe he was like the final boss in the game that you'd have to wrestle. But it never got made. Anyway, King Kong Bundy. When he left the company, he signed on for a computer ad campaign. Vince was hot at him for getting his own deal. And when he came back to the company in 95, he claimed that there were people and agents in the company, not Vince himself, but there were people in the company, he alleged, who said to him that Vince never forgot about the computer deal. He's not going to seriously push you. Like, you know, he once did. I mean, he gave him a job, but they said he's never going to seriously push you. He never forgot about the video game deal. <laughs> All those years later, he never forgot. Now, is that true? I don't know. I mean, that's that's what he claims he was told. King Kong Bundy had no business being pushed in 1995 the way he was in 1986, but that's a whole other issue. You know, Wade Barrett, I'll give you one last example. Wade Barrett just came back to the company, right? He's in the process of trying to work out a deal to return full-time, this time as an announcer. One of the reasons that he said he left the company originally was because he was getting all kinds of offers. He was getting some some movie offers for little you know parts. He was getting sponsorship and endorsement opportunities. I don't know if this was coming from the UK or if this was from you know coming here in the states, but he was getting all of these offers. And he went to the company and he would tell them, "Listen, I have an offer to do this. I have an offer to do that." And look, the movie offers I can see being an issue. If you're going to film a part in a movie and it's going to take you off the road for three weeks or a month or something, then I get it. You know, if the company needs you, you can't just, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to go to my boss and say, hey, boss, you know, I got to go film a movie for two months. Peace out, you know, keep my office warm because he's going to be like, yeah, get the, get the hell out of here. So that I kind of understand, but like, you know, even, even something like a commercial or something that maybe would have taken a day or two to shoot. He goes, nope. They said, no, we need you here. And they would turn down every single opportunity that came in. And maybe they're, you know, and and maybe they're within their rights to say no, but then it's on the talent. The next time their deal is up, that's what he did. He said, that's why I'm not resigning. And he didn't. He left the company. That's what more people need to do. If this is how they feel, that's what more people need to do. I mean, you heard what WWE said in their statement. They compensate talent higher than any other company in wrestling, which is true. So they can get away with this kind of stuff. So many of the people who worked there, it was their dream as a kid to one day wrestle for WWE. That's a hard thing to walk away from. And I'm sure the company uses that to its full advantage. You know, come on. Oh, it's your dream to be a WWE superstar. Remember all the, the, the stuff that Triple H supposedly was telling uh, Anderson and Gallows, all that nonsense. This is what they do. Come on. It's your dream to be a WWE superstar. You're not going to walk away and give that up, are you? Well, more and more people are walking away and giving that up. But the vast majority stay because they still think that they're going to make more money in WWE than they will anywhere else, and that they're going to be a bigger star, which they probably will in WWE because they have the biggest platform. They have the biggest reach. 
bigger than any other company in, in the world. Well, you know, with the good comes the bad. And unless they all band together, and they won't, which is why there'll never be a union in wrestling. I get that question every now and then in the mailbag. There will never be. It's been 30, 40 years now, 50 years. There will never be. As long as that happens, nothing is ever going to change. Yeah, I'm reminded of the FS1 interview from last summer that Bailey did. How shocked the interviewer. Remember that woman? I forgot her name, but she was shocked. The interviewer was stunned. The look on her face was priceless. It's, it's, a, it's a gif on Twitter. It was so funny. When she learned that, oh my God, after the show, the wrestlers, you don't have anybody drive you? After, after a night of work and putting your body through all that stuff, you know, like even baseball players and stuff, they have like a team bus or something, but like, you guys don't have a driver? You have to drive yourselves from town to town? Bailey said, yeah, you know, sometimes we're driving four hours after a show and we get lost and we're in a dangerous place and I'm almost out of gas. And this woman was mortified by this. And then she says, you don't have a collective bargaining agreement? And Bailey Bailey probably wanted to crawl into a hole at that point. I can only imagine what was going through her head in the middle of this conversation. But, you know, the other woman was stunned. I would imagine most people who don't know anything about WWE or pro wrestling probably would be. If they knew these things. But the reality is that only the talent can change things. You're never going to get enough of them, though. You're never going to get enough of them to agree on what uh, bread to use for the ham sandwich. So these are the kind of things that they're just going to have to live with. But if it's the character names that are being the uh, that are causing issues here, then it's very simple. Log into your YouTube account. Log into your Twitch. And swap out all mentions of your WWE name with your real name. Or make up a nickname. Problem solved. They cannot force you to take your channel down. And if they insist, well, then when your contract comes due, you need to make a choice about what's more important to you. Your bank account or your freedom. That's really what it comes down to. Brock Lesnar is no longer under contract to WWE. Obviously, things came to a head clearly between him and Vince McMahon over this new policy when he wanted to start his new Twitch channel. Brock Lesnar wanted to uh, start an OnlyFans, and so he decided to quit. Uh, He has not been seen since WrestleMania when he dropped the WWE title to Drew McIntyre, and apparently that's what happens sometimes. You know, they, they let the deal lapse. They always end up negotiating a new one because Vince McMahon does not want Brock Lesnar going anywhere else. But per PW Insider... They hit a snag in their recent negotiations. The only reason anyone even found out about this is because WWE Shop yanked all of their Lesnar merchandise. And that got people talking, hey, how come all the Brock shirts, how come all the Brock merch isn't there anymore? Uh, The Observer says that Brock's contract gave WWE the rights to continue selling his merch for a period of five months after the deal expired. And those five months now are up, which is why everything got yanked. So, of course, cue all the speculation about where he might end up next. If a- Look, if AEW really wanted Brock, if Tony Khan really wanted Brock, then they can make an offer to him. Tony Khan was asked about him the other day, and he said he had no comment about any potential negotiations with Lesnar, which is the right comment to make. The right comment is no comment. I don't see Brock Lesnar in any way going to AEW. WWE is still the place where he can make the most money. 
especially those Saudi Arabia shows. I mean, that's an easy payday. He probably made a few million, a couple million from that two-minute squash with Cain Velasquez. It's probably the easiest uh, million or two million bucks he ever made. But I'm sure he's going to try to play all sides against each other. It's what he does best. We've seen this before when it's WWE against UFC. Where's he going to go? Who's going to make the best offer? He's no dummy. Play the field, get the best deal. Maybe maybe he fights again. How old is he now? 42? 43? Could always do one big super fight with somebody. That's always an option. I think we're going to see Lesnar back on WWE television once they start getting fans back into the buildings. And when he does come back, he needs to be paired back up with Paul Heyman. That alliance should not be ended. I do not want to see them broken up again. That is an act that needs to be kept together until they retire, and then Heyman can induct him into the Hall of Fame. Now that could mean they do an angle where Heyman is torn between his two men, and in the end he winds up sticking with Lesnar. You know, when they're ready to end the Paul Heyman-Roman Reigns alliance, and it will come to an end at some point. It's, it's definitely got a lot of mileage left in it. Many, many, many more months, I think. But when we get to that point, in the end, he can choose Brock over Roman. Then we'll end up with Roman against Brock again. I'm not overly enthusiastic about that, but they can go that way with it. Um, you know, Or Lesnar comes back and Heyman has one guy on Raw and one guy on SmackDown. He's got Brock on Raw, he's got Roman on SmackDown. That could work too, but Brock Lesnar, believe me, Brock Lesnar is going to enjoy his extended vacation before he ultimately comes back home. He's coming back to WWE. It's just a matter of when. Mauro Ronaldo is not coming back to WWE. He is gone. He had missed the last few weeks of NXT television. He missed the TakeOver 30 special to fly up to Canada to be with his mother, who is apparently ailing. She is in bad health. Uh, the decision to part ways said to be a mutual one from both sides. This was not uh, anything that was acrimonious. This was not somebody being fired or I quit or anything like that. Uh, or, you know, unlike the last time he left, which is when he, I think he was doing commentary on SmackDown. I remember reading that he did SmackDown commentary for like a year and a half. I think it was. And I can't even believe it was that long. It doesn't feel like he was doing commentary on SmackDown for more than maybe a few months, but... I think he may have been doing it for about a year, year and a half. And then there were the allegations of, of bullying on JBL's part, you know, because of a comment that he had made publicly on some WWE Network show. He was kind of mocking Morrow about winning, I think, the award for Best Announcer and the Wrestling Observer Awards. And I don't know what other ribs or jokes he may have, you know, said or played on Morrow, whatever the case was. But... You know, eventually Morrow came out, he denied it, but he didn't deny it. There was this long period of silence where he kind of let JBL twist in the wind. JBL became public enemy number one. Everybody was just going after JBL, and I'm sure he was on a blocking spree on Twitter. Um, but he, boy, he let him twist in the wind for a while. Until he reached a settlement with WWE, which I'm sure said that he probably couldn't say anything disparaging about the company. And then he was sort of like, you know, John John had nothing to do with it. Yeah, okay. Okay. I don't believe for a second that uh, it had nothing to do with JBL. There may have been other issues too. I mean, look, it's a high-pressure job. You have the Irish madman in your ear. I'm sure it's not easy. But one of Morrow's close friends, Boss Rutten, 
even came out and he threatened JBL. He threatened him on social media. And believe me, that's not Boss Rutten just reading uh, internet reports on Wrestling Inc. or SE Scoops. He's very good friends with Morrow. He's worked with him on TV before. They're very good friends. He's not threatening uh, JBL because of some erroneous internet report. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So make of that what you will. But again, there was a settlement of some kind, and both sides agreed not to speak ill of the other. And, and then they brought him back. They brought him back, I guess, in what they felt maybe was less of a a pressure environment to do the commentary for NXT. And he has not been at full sale in months. Once the pandemic hit, he said to them, I'm not flying to Florida. And neither was Beth Phoenix, apparently, because she hasn't been there either. The only person that they would uh, show on camera was Tom Phillips. Until Vic Joseph took over a few weeks ago. So now they show Vic Joseph on camera, they show Wade Barrett on camera, they're there, physically there, in the building. Uh, But Morrow had a studio built in his home to do the shows remotely, that's what Beth does. Notice we have not seen Beth Phoenix, we have not seen her face on television in months. But I guess Morrow was thinking about leaving for a while, and once he went up north to be with his mom, he no longer had access to work remotely, which is why he's been MIA. Uh, But there was another incident with Corey Graves. There were a couple of incidents over the years. This was uh, last year. Maybe a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago with Corey Graves, right around Survivor Series. Graves was supposedly working his own angle. uh, Because I think he found out that he was going to be working a Survivor Series match on commentary with Morrow. And he was trying to play up the whole brand warfare deal. And... He made some kind of disparaging comment without telling Morrow that this is what he was doing. He didn't tell him, hey, listen, I'm going to say this. Don't worry about it. It's all part of the work. Uh, but he made a comment that apparently offended Morrow or was disparaging him in some way. And uh, he went into a depression. He had a breakdown. You know, Morrow's been very public about his battle with bipolar disorder. Uh, all the hazing and the ribbing and the and the and all the stuff like that that goes on in this company, or even just in wrestling in general. I'm surprised he made it this long. You know, I enjoyed his work. He had a very distinctive voice of his own, very different than the average WWE announcer. And I think the show is going to suffer when it comes to those big moments or those big main events not having him there. I have a newfound appreciation for him. Watching that Sasha banks Bailey angle on SmackDown. On Friday night, where Michael Cole and Corey Graves sounded comatose. They needed a Jim Ross, Mauro Ranallo type call 
for that angle. Not announcers who sounded like they were sleeping through the whole thing, even if that's how they were coached. That was not how to announce a big angle like that on TV. But it just it makes me appreciate guys like Morrow a little bit more. Can they be over the top? Yes, they can. Can they be grading sometimes? Yes. Jim Ross, Morrow, they could all be over the top sometimes. But when it comes to those big moments or a big heel turn or just, you know, a big spot in a match like for the highlight reel, you want to have somebody like that on commentary to really sell the moment, to make that moment, you know, take that moment from a big moment to a legendary moment. And he's the kind of announcer who can do that sort of thing. But all of this brings me to Wade Barrett. Barrett and WWE are currently negotiating for a full-time return for him as an announcer on the NXT brand. Uh, Nigel McGuinness, who had been furloughed, is now returning to NXT UK as an announcer. That whole, And I like Nigel. I'm not saying that I didn't like Nigel. I don't want him on NXT. But what I'm hoping is that means that Barrett is going to be exclusive to the NXT brand here stateside. Of the two, I... I think I would rather have Wade Barrett on commentary. I think Wade has been great these last couple of weeks. He's he's got he's got that great voice for it. Uh, I think he's great, and hopefully he'll get the deal done and and he'll be full time on NXT going forward. On Friday, WWE announced that they had come to terms on the release of Akam and Razar of AOP. Wish them well in their future endeavors. These guys felt doomed. Once they took Paul Ellering away from them on their very first night on Monday Night Raw. Another NXT act that they just had to fuck with. They couldn't help themselves. They do this with every every single person who comes up from NXT. Has to be tweaked or changed in some way. Whether it's the presentation, whether it's the music, whether it's the name. Vince McMahon has to put his stamp on it. When Aleister Black got called up, it was the little creak. The little creaking noise when he rose up during his entrance. Which actually, by comparison to some of the other changes that have been made, at least that's not that big of a deal. But it's the creak, or when Ricochet comes out, the pew that stupid cartoon noise that they had to throw in there. You know, or or change, just outright changing people's names. And they always have to put their little mark on it. You notice that Keith Lee, right? Keith Lee. You always got to do something. But for AOP, they took their manager away from them. You know, there were rumors at the time, Paul Ellering, he didn't want to travel. You know, he's getting older. But Ellering came out later on and he said, you know, he like tweeted, like, for the record, I love to travel. (laughs) So basically that was all bullshit. I don't know who made that up. Now, if they, if they had a better plan for them, then that's fine. Ellering, look, Ellering was not the most active or you know, verbose manager. This was not the Paul Ellering from the NWA in the 80s. If they had another, like, Heyman type or someone like that that they wanted to put AOP with, then that's great. But what was their big idea? It's kind of like putting Alberto Del Rio with Zeb Coulter. Their big idea was to put AOP, these two big tough guys, with Drake Maverick, who was treated at the time as nothing but a comedy character. Half the size of these guys... He looks like a, a like a little kid coming up to get an autograph from AOP. And they just put them together because that they love that. They love those odd couple pairings. But that's what gave us AOPP at Survivor Series when Maverick pissed himself. Supposedly, he legitimately 
pissed himself because the device that he was supposed to use to piss himself malfunctioned. It didn't work. So allegedly, he may have actually peed himself. Now that's a commitment to your craft. But this is what they did to these these two big tough guys. AOP, they gave them a manager half their size who pissed himself on TV. The pairing with Seth Rollins, at least, that had promise. They were going to be part of the Messiah faction. They were going to be his heavies. But they were plagued by injuries at the worst possible times. You know, there's never... Look, there's never a great time to get hurt. And it's not as if they were out like five times. I don't want to sit here and say they were injury prone. I think that's misplaced. I think that's a misguided point of view. These guys were not hurt four, five, six different times. But, you know, last year, Akam had to have knee surgery. And then earlier this year... After putting them together with Seth Rollins, Razar tore his bicep. The timing of this release is a bit curious to me because they've been off TV for so long. They were probably about ready to return, I would imagine. And then they just go ahead and, and they cut them. That I don't understand. Because it doesn't sound like they requested their release. So the timing of this to me just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. The injury bug, when the injury bug bit them, it just bit them at the worst possible times. Razar is a legit MMA fighter. This guy is a beast. I saw a video of him recently the other, I forgot who posted it. But they posted video, a clip of him, like a 20 or 30 second clip of him in the gym training. You know, doing MMA or or judo stuff, whatever he was doing. And my God, I mean, this guy is, is absolutely massive. I mean, from behind, I almost thought it was Brock Lesnar. I think he has the same back tattoo that Brock has. But he looks like he would perfectly fit into something like Raw Underground. I can't believe they got rid of him now, of all times. They debut this Raw Underground concept, and then they fire the guy. But he's a scary man. I I think they cut bait too soon. You invest all those years in developmental... And then a little bit of time on the main roster. You devote so much time to to these guys to trying to get them over and feature them. I think it was worth trying one more time, but evidently WWE felt otherwise. One person who is uh, injury prone that WWE will not get rid of, in fact, they just re-signed him, is Rey Mysterio. At some point during his tag team match at Payback last Sunday, Mysterio tore his triceps Uh, It is not said to be a full tear or as serious as the torn triceps that Edge suffered a backlash, which I think was like a full tear, and he had to have surgery. Uh, I don't think Ray is going to have to have surgery here, and uh, they believe that maybe he'll be out for six to eight weeks. You know? Edge, I would imagine Edge is going to be out until early next year. We could be setting up for another Royal Rumble return for Edge. This should keep Ray out, hopefully, for no more than six to eight weeks. But it was enough to keep him out of his match on Raw with Seth Rollins. They were supposed to have a singles match, and instead, Dominic took Ray's place. And for his son's sake, he better hope that his father can heal quickly without surgery and just go through some rehab and be back in a few weeks. I don't know what you do with Dominic Mysterio on Raw if his father is not around to continue this storyline. And frankly, this storyline has already run its course. I don't think this storyline needs to go on anymore. The stuff with Rollins and Ray and... I mean, it's been done to death. They've done everything that they can possibly do with it aside from having Dominic turn and join Rollins, I guess. But 
I'd love to know what the logic is there if that were to happen. It just feels to me like this story and all of the matches that we've seen, this story has run its course. I know they've invested a lot of TV time recently into Dominic and TV time is very valuable, but it was for a story that now has played itself out. Dominic had a great showing against Rollins at SummerSlam. They already did the tag team match. They already blew that off with him and his father, father and son, right? Teaming together. The first one they gave away on TV with no finish. So they brought it back on pay-per-view and they won. They got their revenge. They got their comeuppance on the heels. What's left? I think sending Dominic to NXT to contribute there and grow and improve, that would be the way to go. Because were it not for the storyline with his father, he would not be on TV. He would not be on Monday Night Raw. That is the only reason they called him up. And I thought he acquitted himself very well, but now I think it's time to send him down to NXT. The Cruiserweight Championship on that brand, man, I'm telling you, there's a story there. They could eventually do where he wants to follow in his father's footsteps. And he wants to win the title that Rey Mysterio once held, the Cruiserweight title. Start from the bottom and start to work your way up. Take the time to build him slowly. There's no need to rush things. You know, his little main roster run was a test and he passed. That initiation they gave him with the kendo stick shots a few weeks ago, he passed. Now take your time with him. This kid could be something. But he has no business being on Monday Night Raw anymore. I finally finished the main event from the New Japan Summer Struggle Show from the baseball stadium. They had around 5,000 people there all spread out. Uh, A stadium that fits about 40,000, but COVID. So Uh, at least it was open air. I loved that Minoru Suzuki match with Shingo. Suzuki wins the never open weight title. I think his second one. The man is 52 years old and he can move like he's 22. He has those little bursts of speed that are incredible for a guy with as much mileage on his body as long as he's been around for probably 30 plus years at this point. It's unbelievable. And that's between MMA and wrestling because he used to fight, then he got into wrestling. His career has been something else if you ever look him up, but uh, I loved it. I thought that was a fantastic match. We had uh, Ishimori winning the junior heavyweight title from Hiromu Takahashi who has not had the best of luck lately, at least not in singles matches. And Tetsuya Naito is once again the IWGP and the IWGP Intercontinental Champion. He regained both belts from Evil in a match that I thought was I thought was very good. The interference made sense, having LIJ come to Naito's aid and fight off Bushi and fight off Dick Togo and Ghetto and just kind of leave, just leave Evil and Naito alone in the ring to go into the finishing sequence of the match. So basically what they did, they turned evil and they gave him that short run as champion because coming back from the COVID break, they probably just wanted to do something really big to get people talking about New Japan again. That's why they did it. And maybe in the process, maybe they elevated evil to another level in people's eyes and now they have another guy that if they need to, they can headline with. Not unlike what they did with Jay White. Jay White did not hold on to the IWGP title very long either. I think he only had it about a week longer than Evil did. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. But I got a question from somebody on the NXT stream on uh, Tuesday night. This uh, was before I watched the main event. I still had not watched the main event at that point. And I said it then. I said, you know, I can't see evil headlining the Tokyo Dome. This was before I knew he'd lost both belts. So him losing both belts was not a surprise to me. The timing of it was a surprise to me. Him losing them as quickly as he did, that surprised me. But it's not a spot that, you know, I guess uh, he feels he's ready for yet. He being a ghetto and whoever's booking these things out. And I, I kind of feel the same way. And I say that as a casual fan of the product. Evil headlining the Tokyo Dome, it just doesn't fit. I would like to see Naito drop that Intercontinental title soon, though. I'm over this whole two belts thing. I'm over it in WWE. I'm over it in uh, New Japan. But... Naito wants to defend both belts, and he wants New Japan to clarify whether or not this this these titles are unified or not. Or if they're still looked at as two separate belts. There was a press conference a couple of days after the show, and this is what he said. He said, I always said that I want to take two belts at the same time. I never said that I want to unify them, but with all these matches being for both belts, maybe the company thinks that it should be unified. In that case, fine, go ahead and make one new belt for me to hold. But if these two are individual championships, then I want to defend them both separately. Are these unified or not? So that's that's what Naito wants to know. He's looking for clarification from New Japan. I don't think they should be unified, but if the champion has no idea whether or not they are or not, that probably is something New Japan should clarify for everyone. Uh, One more note real quick on the stadium show. Kevin Kelly was at home in New York doing English commentary with Chris Charlton. He was uh, in a studio in Japan. Kelly said that they're working on some ideas to get live English commentary for the G1 shows, which are coming up soon. And that would be nice. But uh, I don't mind the Japanese commentary, actually. If, If they can't get the English commentary for the G1 shows, then Japanese commentary is fine. I may not understand what the hell they're saying. But I love their passion and their enthusiasm, and I actually don't mind it. I don't mind the Japanese commentary. Can we get Japanese commentary on Monday Night Raw, please? And SmackDown? I'd like to have that. I'd like to have Japanese commentary on these shows. My only fear, though, is that it would be WWE Japanese commentary. I don't want WWE Japanese commentary. I want those Japanese announcers. Although, I don't know, you know, some of these WWE shows, I would imagine it would be a challenge for them to kind of get the enthusiasm up. I know it is for me. Case in point, this uh, Raw show from Monday night, they spent three 
hours of this show building to a number one contenders match for the WWE Championship when we already knew that it was going to be Randy Orton. Randy Orton is the one who put Drew McIntyre in the hospital with what they are now calling a hairline jaw fracture. How you go from possible bleeding on the brain and a skull fracture to a hairline fracture of the jaw? Only in WWE. Only in WWE. But once that happened, it was obvious that he was getting another match with Drew. But they put us through this whole song and dance only for Randy Orton to win a title shot that we already knew he was getting. So that that aspect of it I didn't like. I actually thought the main event was a good match, but... To get there, it's like, Jesus Christ, I mean, we already, (laughs) you talk about already knowing the outcome before it happens. Keith Lee beat Dolph Ziggler to qualify for the triple threat main event. Randy Orton beat Kevin Owens with an assist from the newly heel Aleister Black out there looking like Snake Plissken. I'm down for it. That could be your Survivor Series match. I'm I'm down for the heel turn of Aleister Black. Aleister Black against Drew McIntyre. Within a few months, we could be getting that match. That could be your Survivor Series main event for the WWE title. Although I guess Survivor Series, they'll probably do the the brand warfare shit again. So maybe they can uh, get to TLC or something and do the match there. But I do think being a heel is going to uh, afford Alistair more opportunities than he probably would be getting if he were a babyface. So go ahead and turn him. Unless, of course, Randy Orton wins the championship at Clash of Champions. Then that all goes out the window. Then you can, you know what? If Randy Orton wins the title at Clash of Champions, then you can come back to Randy Orton and Keith Lee. Because Keith Lee got a win over him at Payback. So if Randy Orton were to win the title, then there it is. There's your match for the next pay-per-view after that. Which I don't think is until uh, the 1st of November. I don't think there's a single WWE pay-per-view in October. There is a takeover show. There is a TakeOver show. I think it's the week of my birthday, actually. It's early in the month, but there is no WWE pay-per-view scheduled for October. Which means we're getting two of them in November. And in the other match to uh, gain entrance into the main event, Seth Rollins pinned Dominic Mysterio. He was the sub for his injured father. Mickey James pinned Lana in what I believe may have been her first win on Raw in something like two years. Asuka was on commentary for this. Mickey was pointing at her. She was pointing at the Raw Women's Championship. So we should be getting Asuka and Mickey James at Clash of Champions for the Raw Women's title. All championships are going to be defended. Which means that for the first time, I think since WrestleMania, they will have no choice but to give us an intercontinental title match at Clash of Champions. That title has not been defended on pay-per-view, I don't believe, since WrestleMania. So it'll be good to get that belt back on pay-per-view. Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot beat the Iconics in a match where the losing team would be forced to break up. This felt very sudden and out of nowhere. Uh, to where I thought somebody maybe was getting suspended for a wellness violation the next morning, right? That happens sometimes. They'll, they'll put you on TV. They'll do some kind of a rush job or have you do a job. And then the next day, you know, we find out that somebody got popped for a violation. That's what I was thinking. Someone did something wrong here. This just seems very sudden to me. But there was no suspension. The Iconics lost, to no surprise, with Vince McMahon being so high, supposedly, on Peyton Royce. There have been reports about that. He's he's been very high on Bailey, 
Bailey, you know, heel Bailey and Peyton Royce apparently have uh, impressed Vince McMahon. So it looks like we're going to get a Peyton Royce singles push. I think that's cool. I, I support that move. Everyone, you know, weeping over the end of the Iconics. So I'm going to miss them. I can't believe they did that, man. I can't believe they broke up the Iconics. I say adios. Peyton Royce has something. There's a new face right there that you could try to push in the women's division. That Raw can use. I don't see the same in Billy Kay, but you know what? Maybe we haven't really seen the real Billy Kay. Maybe Billy Kay has been hiding behind this comedy character for so long. Maybe the best thing for her would be to just put her on SmackDown and let her develop a persona of her own. Or a new look, just blow it all up. A brand new Billy Kay. Is probably exactly what the doctor ordered. Maybe there's a side of her that we haven't seen, but I will I will not miss the Iconics. And I'm not going to mourn the end of a comedy act that I didn't care about in the first place, so I'm not going to pretend. Retribution, speaking of acts that I'm not going to pretend to care about, Retribution is apparently going to be Raw exclusive from now on. All of a sudden, the masked men and women are going to adhere to the rules of the brand split and stick to Monday nights only. This angle is dying a death. They attack the Street Profits in the middle of their match with Andrade and Angel Garza. They also beat up Zelina Vega. They made it very clear on commentary that it was women under the masks beating up Zelina Vega. They wanted to make sure they covered their ass on that. So Zelina got wiped out. The Street Profits got wiped out. And then when they came back from commercial, Tom Phillips had already moved on. (laughs) He had moved on to tell us all about WWE content that we can now stream on uh, Peacock, that new NBC streaming network. He's like, let me tell you about the WWE content on Peacock. I'm like, my God, you know, they used to make a big deal about Retribution a few weeks ago. And now it's like, well, moving on. (laughs) It's like, I love it. It, It's it's, it's just on brand. It really is. As these masked terrorists continue to wreak havoc on their show. Now, Angel Garza had run off. He, as soon as he saw Retribution, he took Demi the Bachelor girl, who's now basically a regular character on the show every week. And he took her and they ran off to safety in the back. And they come back and they show Garza. He's like, come on, we got to get out of here. We got to get away, you know, before they find us. And then, of course, right ahead of them is Retribution. Now, this is after Angel told her, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. As soon as he saw Retribution, he dumped her like a bad habit. And he went running in the other direction. He left this woman all by herself. And she looked and she saw Retribution. Or as she called... What did she call them? Oh my god. She called them... Uh, earlier in the show, I think she called them... Uh, Ret- Ret- oh god, I forgot what it was. She botched their name. I actually laughed. I thought I wrote it down. Retaliation or something. I don't know. She used some other word for them. But she saw them. She saw retaliation, and she went running in the opposite direction. And that was it. That was the last we saw of Retribution for the whole show. They are now officially just another faction. They're just another group on the show. Nobody seems as overly concerned. I mean, Adam Pierce is always running around yelling at the security guards. The security guards absolutely suck in this company. WWE has got to have the worst security that I've ever seen in my life. It's too bad Jim Dotson passed away a few years ago. Remember him from the Attitude Era? 
He used to be at ringside with the beret on his head. Nobody would fuck with Jim Dotson. But uh, sadly, I think he passed away a couple of years ago. Raw Underground, I skipped because of the camera cuts. Fuck these people and their shitty camera work. I don't give a shit. The main event, pointless as the main event was, I did enjoy it. I did think it was an enjoyable match. Seth Rollins, Keith Lee, and Randy Orton. Rollins went for a curb stomp to Keith Lee, but Lee countered into the spirit bomb. Had the match won, but Orton snuck up behind him, hit the RKO on Keith Lee. And Randy Orton covered Seth Rollins, not Keith Lee. He covered Seth Rollins to pick up the win. At least they didn't pin Keith Lee. I don't mind him taking the RKO. I know some people uh, seem to be bothered by that. It didn't bother me at all. If he was pinned, that would have bothered me. I wouldn't pin him just yet on the main roster. But Randy Orton could hit that RKO on anybody at any time. So I don't know why people would be so offended about Randy Orton hitting an RKO on somebody. He does it to everyone. He did it to Mark Cuban once. So that was Monday Night Raw. If you missed it, and I'm sure most of you did, I went out of my way to watch the match on main event this week on Hulu. There was a match between Ricochet and Mustafa Ali. Yes, they they put that match on main event. So I took the time to watch it. It was a very good match. It was a very good match. Ricochet picked up the win. Why you wouldn't open Monday Night Raw, like like an episode of Raw, with like a hot 10, 12, 15-minute match, fast-paced, high-flying between these two guys. Why, Why you would just relegate it to main event is just beyond me. But you know what? I guess it shouldn't be, because they're not pushing these guys. They have no plans for these guys. So that's why. I just answered my own question. That's why they don't do it. They don't they don't they don't care. These guys are not being pushed. They're not a priority. They don't give a shit. We'll put them on main event. If you want to see a good wrestling match, go seek it out. I thought it was very good. Which brings me to SmackDown. As much as I really wasn't a fan of Monday Night Raw, it didn't really do much for me. I thought that SmackDown was a very good show this week. It was the best wrestling show on TV all week. That includes NXT on Tuesday, and that includes AEW on Wednesday. SmackDown was the better show. Maybe the best SmackDown all year. Had some good in-ring action, especially in that women's tag team title match. And good storyline advancement with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. And at long last, the split between the golden role models with Bayley going evil on her best friend Sasha Banks. We got the Roman Reigns-Paul Heyman promo that we needed to get coming off of Roman's universal title win at Payback. Roman played the role of Brock Lesnar in the segment. He stood silent while Paul Heyman did most of the talking. Roman had this cold, mean stare into the camera with that title, you know, draped over his shoulder. This is the Roman Reigns that we needed to see. Heyman said that it was Roman who pulled him back in, not the other way around. When they had casted him away, Roman Reigns came to his savior, came to his aid. And they shared that in common for everything that Roman Reigns did for this company. He too was cast away like nobody cared about him. He referred to himself as Roman's special counsel. So Paul Heyman, now the Robert Mueller of WWE. 
And he ended by using the same catchphrase that he has always used for Brock Lesnar, called Reigns the reigning, defending, undisputed, universal heavyweight champion. But unlike with Brock, Reigns did take the microphone. He did cut a little promo of his own at the very end. I mean, we had to hear something. We had to hear something from Roman Reigns. But he kept his comments brief. He said, I'm a man of my word. I did exactly what I said I was going to do at Payback. I signed the contract. I wrecked the fiend. I wrecked the monster. And I left. At Clash of Champions, or, or as Paul Heyman called it, Clash of the Champions. Paul, Paul's very old school. That's what the show should still be called. That's another one of those little WWE spins on it. Unless there's some kind of copyright issue for the name I'm not aware of. It used to be Clash of the Champions, and then it just became Clash of Champions. I'm sure Vince McMahon had a, a conniption fit in the back when he heard him call it a second time, Clash of the Champions. But he says at the pay-per-view, he doesn't care who he faces. He'll slaughter them all. This is his island. When you have this kind of power, all you gotta do is show up and win. Believe that. And with that, he walked off. I was waiting for him to heal on the fans just a little bit. I think after all the years of abuse, it would have been justified. But instead, they're taking the approach of the company sort of discarded him when he went away for a little while. Uh, That story works too, but more importantly, I love this pairing. They work well together. It makes sense. Heyman's been heaping praise on Reigns and his family and the Samoan bloodline and all that for five years now, dating all the way back. Remember Titan Tower? The night after Roman Reigns won the Royal Rumble in 2015, they had that big snowstorm, and Monday Night Raw was canceled, and instead they did a live show for three hours from Titan Tower with a whole bunch of promos and interviews. And if I remember, that was the first time that I can remember, because we had Reigns was there, and Heyman and Lesnar were there. And that was the first time I can remember Paul Heyman really showing admiration for Roman Reigns and talking about the Samoan bloodline. I like the idea of playing off of Heyman being cast aside like a leper, and him having that in common with Roman Reigns. As far as why Roman would even feel the need to have somebody like Paul Heyman at his side... I think that became clear later in the show when Heyman manipulated uh, WWE management and Adam Pearce into putting Jey Uso in the main event. That's where Heyman becomes useful for Roman Reigns. In situations like that, Roman ran into Jey Uso in the back after that promo was over. Jey Uso's like, yo, Uso, I've tried calling, I've tried texting you, I haven't heard back, what's going on, man? What's the deal? And Roman said, look, I've just been busy. We'll, I'll catch up with you later. Now, they had scheduled a fatal four-way for the main event. Two fatal four-way main events this week on WWE programming. At least we got a finish for this one. Between Matt Riddle, King Corbin, Sheamus, and Big E to determine a number one contender for Roman's title at Clash of the Champions. Sheamus took out Big E in the back, though, earlier in the show. He gave him a white noise onto the windshield of a car. They did a big injury angle. Uh, A a big injury angle. Big E, get it? Oh, that was really lame. Wow. But uh, anyway, I just, I I had to take the opera. I had to take the chance. You know, I just, it hit me right now. I'm like, let me say it out loud and see how that comes off. And that came off really lame. But yes, they did a big injury angle 
on uh, SmackDown. And they carted him off, and Sheamus was very proud of his handiwork and thought that it was going to be a triple threat now. But in fact, uh, Adam Pearce made it clear that uh, it was going to be a fatal four-way. They were going to find somebody else to take Big E's spot in that match. And Jey Uso ended up being the guy who ultimately got picked. Now look, they had to do this because... It's too early for Big E to be getting a championship match for a title that he is not going to win. Big E was not going to win the WWE Universal title. Matt Riddle was not going to win the WWE Universal title. Roman Reigns just won the championship. And so you know that these first few challengers, if not the next several challengers, are going to fall to Roman Reigns. And can you imagine the shitstorm on Twitter and the shitstorm on social media if Roman Reigns beats Matt Riddle, you know, first defense, or he beats Big E, oh, Big E is buried. Oh, Matt Riddle is buried. I was already getting comments about Matt Riddle being buried at the end of the show. I'm going to bury those people here in a second. I'll tell you why he wasn't buried. I'm going to bury the fuck out of all the people who said that Matt Riddle was buried. Don't worry, I'm going to get to that too. But they had to do this. They had to get Big E out of that match because he shouldn't be losing right now. He's on a roll. He's in the middle of his the first big push of his career. He's been on a roll recently, so I like the fact that they did this angle to keep things going with him and Sheamus, but it gets him out of the match. It protects him. And we got the segment later on where Paul Heyman pulled Adam Pierce aside when he was trying to figure out who was going to take the spot. He goes, hey, Adam, can I talk to you for a second? And they went off camera to go speak. And what he was doing was he was lobbying Adam Pierce to get Roman's cousin inserted into the main event. Nepotism at its finest. But then again, this entire company was uh, built to some degree on nepotism. So it kind of fits. Once Uso was inserted into the match, it was pretty clear he was going to win. Because they didn't do that segment in the back with him and Roman for no reason. Sasha Banks and Bailey. Got their rematch for the women's tag team titles against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Before the match, they did an interview with Sasha and Bailey, and Sasha put Bailey over as hard as I have ever heard her put her friend over before on TV. This is the greatest SmackDown women's champion of all time. You better watch how you talk to her. She's one of the leaders of the women's revolution. She's my best friend. It was such a hard sell that it made what happened later on that much more jarring. This was a very good match. I think I may have enjoyed, I probably enjoyed this match better than the pay-per-view match between these two teams. Good action, but also good psychology, great storytelling. Shayna was working over Bailey's shoulder. Sasha got the tag, ran wild. She tried to powerbomb Nia Jax off the apron like she did to Asuka with that sunset powerbomb at SummerSlam. But Nia held on. Until Bailey broke her grip and then Nia went tumbling down to the floor. So that took Nia out for a while. Bailey got a near fall on Baszler with the diving elbow off the top. Key moment here was Sasha missing the knees to Baszler. They were on the apron. She went to do the running knees and Shayna moved and then boom, right into the post. You heard that noise. Sasha's knees off the ring post. It's not uh, the steel ring post anymore, but it does make a great... A great sound effect, which is uh, probably probably part of the reason why the, the posts are like that now. That and all the LED stuff. They got to get real fancy. So, But it made a great noise, and 
Sasha was down on the ground outside the ring. She was writhing in pain. She was in agony. Looked like she broke her kneecap or her shin. Baszler brought her back inside. Now Shayna sees an opportunity. And she targets the leg. She targets the injury. Sasha was just crying out. Baszler tried for the finish from Payback, where she trapped Sasha in the Muda Lock, and she went for the Kirafuda Clutch at the same time on Bailey. But this time, Bailey hit the belly to Bailey to break it up. Sasha managed to lock on the bank statement. Nia broke it up. And Nia got the win for her team with a second rope crossbody to Banks and Bailey. She squashed them, quite literally just came tumbling down and squashed them like a couple of grapes and got the pin. After the match, medics are in the ring. They're tending to Sasha. Sasha is just batting them, get away from me, get away from me. Bailey is looking on with concern and she goes over to help Sasha out onto the apron. And as soon as they get out onto the apron, Bailey snaps. And she kicks Sasha in the head. She attacks her injured leg. This was a, a vicious beatdown. This was a prolonged, vicious beatdown. She puts Sasha's head in a chair. So think uh, the Brian Pillman angle with Austin from many years ago, right? When he Pillmanized his ankle. Only this time she put the uh, wrapped the chair around her head. It's basically what they did with uh, Kane and Shawn Michaels. Kane did this to Shawn Michaels many years ago where he came off the ropes. The chair was wrapped around Shawn's head. And he stomped on the chair. The only difference here is that uh, Sasha wasn't spitting up any blood. Any blood capsule. Like uh, Shawn Michaels was. But Bailey came off that middle rope and she stomped down on that chair. This was a heavy angle. Like It was like a... A powder keg that was ready to explode now for months and months and months. Only, you, you thought that it was going to be Sasha Banks being the one to turn on her friend, but instead it was Bailey who turned. And this was the correct move. As much as I love Sasha as a heel, for this story, the right outcome was Sasha Banks as the babyface and Bailey as the heel. And I'm going to tell you why. It was one year ago, almost to the day, to the very week, September 2019, there was a match on Monday Night Raw that saw Becky Lynch teaming up with Bayley against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Sasha Banks, she had just come back to television as a heel. She attacked Becky Lynch for the DQ. And she was beating her down with a steel chair when who should grab the chair out of Sasha's hands but Bayley. And the two of them stared at each other and Bailey is staring at the chair and looking at Becky and looking back at Sasha and what, contemplating what she's going to do. And Bailey smirked. She smiled. And she took that chair and she beat Becky Lynch down with that chair herself. Bailey went to the dark side one year ago this week by turning on her friend. And she did it with a chair. Fast forward one year later, Bailey once again turns on her friend. This time it's Sasha. And again, it's with the aid of a steel chair. Now that's a great story. Now, Bailey is going to be doing anything and everything that she can to hold on to her title. Over 320 days and counting for her as the SmackDown Women's Champion. It would have been even longer. It would have been five days longer. If they didn't give Charlotte Flair that little uh, five-day run <laughs> with the uh, belt before they put it back on Bailey. <clears throat> but that's why it had to be Bailey. As the one attacking Sasha, not the other way around. That and it's going to be a much bigger deal. 
when Sasha is the one to end her reign as champion. I think this should have ended the show. I think this should have closed out SmackDown on Friday night. You could have had the Fatal 4-Way headline the top of the hour, try to condense all the Roman Uso stuff to the first hour. I mean, I know why they spread it out, but this match here and this angle, this is what should have closed the show on Friday night. For the second time on this show, somebody got carted off in an ambulance. I think between that and, and you know, Big E got carted out in an ambulance. Sasha Banks got carted out in an ambulance. Between that and, and the retribution stuff that we've seen over the uh, last several weeks, WWE seems to be a very dangerous place to work. And now they want to take away their TikToks and their Twitch channels. Why would anyone want to work there? I ask that question almost every week. Why would anybody want to work there? The announcing. The announcing did this segment no favors. Michael Cole and Corey Graves sounded comatose. And it reminded me of when Bret Hart came back to the company in 2010. The night that he beat up Vince McMahon. So it wasn't the night that Bret came back. I think that was the night Vince kicked him in the balls. Bret came back a week or two later, whatever it was. And for the first time since he knocked him and cold cocked him and knocked him on his ass and knocked him out in Montreal... Brett put his hands on, or uh, yes, Brett put his hands on Vince and was beating up Vince McMahon. He punched him in the face. He was lighting up Vince. And I remember watching this, and this was a big moment. This was like 12 years in the making, was this moment. And it sounded like Michael Cole was afraid to wake up his landlord. So he whispered into his headset. This is this was the kind of angle that needed a Jim Ross or a Mora Ranallo kind of call. Whoever told Cole to call it this way is really the one who's responsible for this. I understand that. But either way, I thought this did the angle no favors. This should have been treated like a huge betrayal. They kind of did a little bit there at the end, but as it was going on, like once Bailey kicked Sasha in the head and started beating her down, there needed to be this really animated call this this just you had to treat it like the big betrayal that it was show some life you know how long this has been built up for this was the payoff to a months-long angle so i thought that aspect of it was terrible i mean you got to sell the shit out of this Bailey has been mocking michael cole now for months she has been a thorn in this guy's side she's been making fun of him She's been annoying him, hurling insults at him. So Michael Cole has every reason in the world to be upset with Bailey. Graves, you know, you could let Corey Graves try to be the voice of reason, all somber, trying to calm down Michael Cole, but Cole says, no, I'm not going to calm down. What that woman just did to her best friend is disgusting. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's one of the most repulsive things that I have ever seen. I mean, like, really, sell it, you know? The Michael Cole from SmackDown back in 2003, he would have sold it. He would have sold it that way. That that was my only criticism of this. I thought the attack itself and the way the angle played out was great. Now, I was thinking Survivor Series, because Sasha's got to be out for a while. Bring her back, do the match at Survivor Series, but I keep forgetting about that brand uh, warfare bullshit. And I'm thinking, you know what? That that actually does feel a little too soon for this. So I would keep Sasha out for a long time. Like a few months. And maybe they can hold off for WrestleMania. I, 
You know, I was not convinced that they could do it. I was not convinced. It just felt like there's just too much time between now and then. But this, what they did here, this was a major injury angle. I didn't know they were going the injury angle route. This was a major injury angle. Sasha has the bum knee, but she had a chair wrapped around her throat and stomped on. That doesn't keep you off TV for two weeks. That keeps you off TV for not even two months. That should keep her off TV for three, four months before they bring her back. And there's been reports of WWE lining up Naomi for a big push on the SmackDown brand. Maybe she can be the next in line to feud with Bayley. You got Mandy Rose. Mandy Rose coming off a big win over Sonya Deville at SummerSlam. Great. Just like they're going to be feeding bodies to Roman Reigns these next few months, you got to feed some bodies to Bailey, Naomi, Mandy Rose. I mean, you can occupy the next three months alone just by feuding those women with Bailey until Sasha, you know, they're ready to bring Sasha back. That could take them probably through the Royal Rumble. Then you bring back Sasha and you begin the build. You begin the build to WrestleMania. It's crazy that we never got a singles match between these two at WrestleMania after that match they had in Brooklyn five years ago. I thought they were going to do it in Orlando at WrestleMania 33, but it never happened. But now I, I think they they can wait. They can hold off until WrestleMania. I think there is a path to do that. Sami Zayn is still walking around with his uh, version of the Intercontinental title. Very upset ring announcer uh, Greg Hamilton does not announce him as the champion when he comes out. Jeff Hardy came out, AJ Styles came out, he attacked Hardy. This is all leading, I assume, to a triple threat at Clash of Champions. I, I assume, but for which title? You know, I think I still think the best way to contest this is going to be in a ladder match. Go Sean Razor at WrestleMania. Two belts hanging over the ring. You pull down both belts, you are the undisputed champion. Maybe a triple threat ladder match. How about that? Hang both belts from the ceiling. Clash of Champions. AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, Jeff Hardy. Triple threat ladder match. Sounds like an idea to me. John Morrison, he stole Otis's Money in the Bank briefcase after a match between Heavy Machinery and Miz and Morrison. He ran off with it as if the person who uh, possesses it can just cash in with it, which is not how this works. Thankfully, Miz admitted that later in the show. He said, you know, you can't just steal the damn thing and cash it in. I was thankful for that because at least they're acknowledging that, in fact, you cannot do that. Because if you can, then what has stopped everyone else over the last... God, how long have they been doing this gimmick for now? 15 years, probably, right? WrestleMania 21, I think, was the first Money in the Bank match. And now, all of a sudden, it's possession is nine-tenths of the law. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Get out of here. But Morrison opened up the briefcase, and what did he find? He found a, a turkey sandwich. There was no contract. In fact, Otis was keeping his lunch in the Money in the Bank briefcase and keeping the contract in his Money in the Bank lunchbox. So never judge a book by its cover. This guy is not as dumb as he looks. Or acts. As dumb as he sometimes acts on TV. We got a Firefly Funhouse with Bray Wyatt saying that next week he's introducing a new character to the Funhouse. Didn't I just say that last week? after they had Postman Pierce ring the doorbell and come to the funhouse, that it's time to bring new characters into the funhouse. 
It's no coincidence that right after this, we had a backstage segment with Nikki Cross watching on a monitor and overcomes Alexa Bliss. She's still wearing the Harley Quinn hairstyle and she's apologizing to Nikki for how she behaved the week before when she smashed the coffee mug. I'm sorry. I want to apologize. In the background during this entire segment, you could see Ramblin' Rabbit behind one of the equipment boxes. So it looks like Alexa may be joining the Funhouse next week. And they also aired a vignette for a new female coming to SmackDown. All we could see were her legs. She had heels on. She had a long fur coat that stretched all the way down to the floor. We never saw her face. We never heard her voice. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Maybe someone's getting that Emmalina gimmick. That's that. That's what that kind of uh, reminds me of. Reminds a lot of people of uh, Emma. Maybe it's Emma. I thought she was with Impact. Isn't she with Impact? What's her contract status? What is Emma's contract status? And then Jey Uso pulled off the upset in the main event, beating out King Corbin, Matt Riddle, and Sheamus to become number one contender for the Universal Title. The same Jey Uso who has not been seen on television in weeks and weeks. I mean, the last time I can remember him being on TV in any kind of real segment may have been that uh, god-awful karaoke stuff they did. How long ago was that? The same Jey Uso who has not been on TV is now the number one contender for the top title on SmackDown. But you know what? It's someone different. And there is a story to it. I would rather they beat Jey Uso than beat Big E. So I am willing to look past that. Sheamus hit the bro kick to Corbin. Riddle hit the bro to sleep on Sheamus. The floating bro off the top rope to Corbin. Even though he barely grazed him with it, but he hit the floating bro. At the same time as Riddle is coming down off the floating bro, what he does not realize is that on the other turnbuckle in the opposite corner, here comes Jey Uso. Off the top with the... Samoan splash right onto Matt Riddle. He pins Matt Riddle to pick up the win. Now, I didn't like that Riddle was the one that he pinned. But Matt Riddle had the match won. He had the match won. He just never saw it coming. So, it's fine. Riddle will be fine. All this bullshit about he's buried. I can't believe they buried Matt Riddle. The people who say that Matt Riddle is buried... Off of that one finish. No, absolutely fuck all about professional wrestling. Believe me, I know a burial when I see it. This was not it. Riddle took out Sheamus. Riddle took out Corbin. He got caught. Nothing more, nothing less. Couldn't believe the, the, the tweets and the stuff about him being buried. I think these people's brains are buried in goo. What Roman Reigns is going to do to poor Jey Uso at Clash of Champions is more of a is more of a burial than whatever happened here to Matt Riddle. And I would rather it be Uso than Riddle getting destroyed at the pay-per-view. So enough with the burial nonsense. Jey Uso doesn't know it yet, but Roman Reigns is going to murder him. He is walking to his own destruction. At Clash of Champions. This is their way of cementing the heel turn even more. You have Roman Reigns killing off a member of his own family. His own cousin. His own flesh and blood. One of his best friends. 
They tried their damnedest to get people to boo Steve Austin after he turned heel in 2001. It was disturbing. Even then, watching him assault Lita with that steel chair. I mean, that was a heavy angle. I mean, you you saw stuff like that back then. A lot of hardcore stuff and man-on-woman violence. I mean, that was a lot more commonplace back then. But even then, in 2001, that was a disturbing angle to watch. But they had Austin and Triple H annihilate the most popular team in the company at that time, Team Extreme. Because they wanted to leave absolutely no doubt what a sadistic SOB that Steve Austin was. So they had him beat up Matt Hardy. They had him beat up Jeff Hardy. They had him beat up Lita. Everyone loves Matt and Jeff and Lita. And they beat the crap out of them. The idea here is kind of the same. Maybe not as extreme as that angle, and Jey Uso is not uh, popular the way that uh, Team Extreme was. But, you know, people can see, like, it's family. And what this guy is going to do to Jey Uso at the pay-per-view, maybe if they were in front of some live audience, it depends what city, if they were in Chicago or New York, they'd probably cheer the fuck out of Roman Reigns for trying to kill Jey Uso, but they won't have to worry about that because they don't have people in the buildings. Like I said a few weeks ago, they control the narrative. They control all the reactions. They can make it look and sound any way they want. But I think that's the idea. That's what they're going for here. Reigns is going to put Jay on the shelf right next to his brother. And Paul Heyman is the mastermind behind the entire thing. This works so well. I love it. Many years ago, I started a segment called This Week in Wrestling History on this show. It was pretty popular, but after a year of that, it was time to move on. But there were a couple of historical events that took place this week in history that I I wanted to mention, and it got me thinking that maybe it's time to bring it back, even if just to highlight, you know, one or two major events in history. 41 years ago this week. On September 1st, 1979, WWE introduced the Intercontinental Championship, claiming that then-WWF North American Champion Pat Patterson had won it in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, unifying his North American title with the South American Championship. Although no record exists of there even being a South American Championship, but the Rio de Janeiro tournament, I mean, that is the, the, the stuff of legend. Perhaps one day, footage from this tournament will uh, surface somewhere. It's been said that the Brazilian government forced them to turn off their cameras, which is why we have no footage of it. And Pat Patterson had to uh, Tarzan swing over a pit of alligators like Pitfall on the Atari just to make it back to the plane to get out of there. A harrowing tale. On that same date, 30 years ago in 1990, there was a classic Memphis wrestling angle that nearly turned tragic involving Jerry the King Lawler and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. The USWA held a live two-hour Saturday show. Eddie Marlin, the general manager in the USWA at that time, kayfabe fired Gilbert and his brother Doug. And he was escorting them out of the studio into the parking lot. You know, you're fired, get out of here. 